0: Awesome. Thanks for being with us in our third week in a series that we started now that we've been calling My Get To Life. And uh, hey, like Sarah Beth mentioned, if you are a guest with us here tonight, I just want to extend a very special welcome to you. We're so glad you're able to be with us this evening. And uh, as we've been going through this series for the past three weeks, basically, if you are just joining us, in a nutshell, here's what we've been talking about. Uh, In this series, we've been really trying to kind of address and talk about a natural drift that occurs in life that I think probably all of us in this room can relate to. And that drift we've been talking about is a drift that happens from what we said was a get-to mentality into a have-to mentality. And so we've been saying that there's this drift. There's there's this thing that occurs in our our lives, and usually it looks something like this. A lot of times we'll begin uh, a new opportunity in life. We'll start uh, a fresh, you know, kind of uh, opportunity shows up. And so maybe there's a new relationship, or maybe it's a new job, or maybe it's a new semester in school, or maybe it's a new child, or whatever it is. And a lot of times we will start... With a get-to mentality, that there's a sense of privilege, man, I get to do this, man, I get to do this job, I get to be in this relationship, and it's viewed with wonder and it's viewed with privilege. We said, but there's this, this thing that happens, this drift, that over time, somewhere over the course of time, all of a sudden we, we one day realize that we have drifted over from a get-to mentality into a have-to mentality. And now all of a sudden, man, I have to go to this job. And now all of a sudden, man, I, I have to do these things. All of a sudden, I have to get up late at night and change the baby's diaper or whatever it might be. And it changed on me. It shifted. And the get to all of the privilege and the wonder has suddenly become a, a duty and a responsibility and really kind of something we view as an obligation. So what we've been talking about in the series then, because I think all of us can relate with this drift, is, man, how do we stay over here? Is it possible for us to live a get to life? Is it possible for us to maintain a get-to kind of framework and a get-to way of viewing life and not drift over into a have-to mentality? And if so, how do we do that? Like, what is the key? to staying in a get-to kind of life. That's what we've been talking about in this series. And like I mentioned, over the past couple of weeks, the first week, we really just kind of introduced this whole topic, talked about some of that. The second week, if you were here last week, Pastor Carlos Tellez was able to be with us. Uh, pastor Carlos is the, the, the lead pastor that's gonna be at our Atlanta project, which is really exciting. We talked about that last week. And he got a chance to share, man, how do we keep a get-to mentality in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardships that we face in life. He did an exceptional job, and I would just encourage you, if you missed the last couple of weeks, you can go onto our website, you can catch up there if you want to, you can listen to that, you can watch that, you can subscribe to our podcast. Of course, all of that is for free and is for you, and we'd want you to to maybe do that. This week, as we continue in this conversation, what I want to do today is I actually want to talk about one extremely simple, almost obvious principle. Um, that is so important, but oftentimes it is missed. And, and and today I want to talk about, like I said, it's a very, very simple. In fact, when I show you this principle, it's gonna be almost obvious, almost insultingly simple. And yet it's one of those principles that we oftentimes miss. And I honestly believe that if we can get this, if we can get this principle and we can enact this principle in our lives, that it has the power to to, to unlock for us the, the kind of the, unlock for us, one of the keys to unlock. The the ability to live in a get-to mentality. I believe that this principle, like I said, it's so simple, but I believe that if if we get a hold of this, it has the power to revolutionize our relationships. It actually has the power to revolutionize our friendships. It has the power to revolutionize our marriages for those of us who are married, our dating relationships for those of us who are dating. It actually has the power to revolutionize our relationship with God. And what is this simple principle that I want to look at together today? Well, I want to show you, and to do that, I, wanna, I want you to encourage you to grab your Bibles, and I want to return to a passage of Scripture that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. This is in Luke chapter 17. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them with me. Let's go back to Luke chapter 17. And so go ahead and flip there, if you would, to Luke 17. Um, if you if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, if you have a smartphone or you have a tablet, uh, feel free to use your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible app, uh, Grace Church actually has an app. We'd encourage you to check that out if you want to. You go to the App Store, search for Grace Ohio. You'll find our app. You can download it, and then the Scripture should be there for you. You can do that. And, of course, um, if you don't have any of those things and you want a Bible, uh, the Black Bibles in the Chairs, page 731. It's where you're going to find that, so you can flip there. And then, of course, let me just say, as always, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, if you don't have a Bible, uh, do me a favor and just take one of ours. You can make that a gift from us to you. I think it's really, really important that you have a Bible. So Luke 17. And again, like I mentioned, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, but it's, so, it's such an incredible passage of Scripture. Uh, we could seriously talk about this for an entire series. It's just this one simple passage. Uh, but I want to just kind of focus in on one aspect. And in this story, if you might remember if you were here a couple weeks ago, this is the story of Jesus and ten lepers. Very, very bizarre, really powerful story. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at it again. We'll start in verse 11. This is what it says. It says, Now, on Jesus' way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed, or they were healed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And so Jesus asked we're not all ten cleansed. Where's the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And with that, this ends this kind of bizarre, but really a powerful story about Jesus and these ten lepers. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity to dig into this passage and really look at the context and some of the history and some of the things that surrounded it. And if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back. ...and check it out. But today, like I said, I want to focus on just one key aspect, one simple little aspect. Because here's the thing. We read this story, and in a nutshell, basically the story is this. Jesus was going through a village. We don't know the name of the village. The Bible doesn't tell us, but he had his disciples with him. And the Bible says that as he walked into this village, there was a group of ten men who had leprosy. Now, you might remember from our previous conversation, we said that to have leprosy would have been a deep, deep misfortune in this society. Uh, Not only was it a terminal illness... So leprosy was a death sentence for people back in this time. But it also would have been a social misfortune. Uh, if you had leprosy, you would have been ostracized socially. You would have been uh, quarantined to live on the outskirts of society. You wouldn't be allowed to interact in the normal social sphere of society. So because of that, these guys were in a terrible circumstance. And so they saw Jesus. They knew Jesus was a miracle worker. So they saw him, and they said, Jesus, come and heal us from this terrible misfortune uh, that we have incurred. And so Jesus, the Bible says, heals them. And Jesus said, go present yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went to the priest, they were healed. They were cleansed of their leprosy. And then the story takes a weird twist. And the Bible says that of the 10 that were healed, one of them, only one of them, 10%, turned back and came to Jesus, thanked him, praised him, said, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And then Jesus responded in a weird way. And Jesus said to him, wait a minute, wait a minute, weren't there 10 of you? Weren't there 10? Where's the other nine? Only one is going to come back and thank me. And then Jesus looked at him and he said, go, he said, "Get up and go. Your faith has made you well." And That ends this story about Jesus and the lepers. Now here's the thing. At first glance, at first glance, I think for all of us, the, the initial takeaway that we see in a passage like that is we say, "My goodness, how could those nine guys be so ungrateful? How could those nine guys accept this grace of God, accept this love of God, accept this healing from God, and then just completely walk away and move on in their lives without thanking Jesus? Man, how ungrateful can these guys be? I think that's the first thought that we have. And then the second thought is this. I want to be like the one guy, not like the nine guys. And we look and we say, man, there's one that was grateful and there's nine that were not grateful. And we don't want to be like the ungrateful ones. We want to be like that one guy. And I would say that if that's the way we walk away from that story, that is a great application point. That yes, we want to be like the one and we don't want to be like the nine. But here's what I want us to think about today just for a minute. What was it that made this one guy so different than the nine? And, and and let me let me set it up this way. So I want you to imagine with me, if we could go back in this time. Now this is all hypothetical and this is this is all I'm making this this part up. So this isn't in the Bible. But I want you to imagine if we could go back to that time and we could track down these 10 guys. Right? So these guys have been, the, the Bible says that as they went to the priest, they were healed. Jesus healed them. And I, my guess is if we could somehow meet up with these ten guys, right, and we could stop them. As, as they, they're healed, they're before the priest, if we could stop them and we could say, hey, hey, guys, hey, before you go on, before you present yourself to the priest and then before you go and tell your families and before you go on with your life as normal because you've been healed, if we ask them, hey, guys, real quick, are, do you feel thankful For what's happened to you my guess is and i'm just assuming here my guess is that all of them would probably say yeah yeah i mean think about it these guys have been healed of a terminal illness these guys had a death sentence and jesus has healed them i think if we went to them we said hey real quick before you guys go on with your life and go on with your family do you feel thankful for the work that jesus has done in your life i think they would say oh man are you kidding me yeah I had a death sentence, and now I have a second chance at life. Are you kidding me? I feel very grateful. I think if we ask them, hey, do you feel do you feel thankful for the work that God has done? They say, what, are you kidding me, man? Before, I was socially ostracized. I was marginalized, and now I get to live life as normal. I get to go back to my family. I get to hold my kids. Are you kidding me? Of course I'm thankful for the good work that God has done in my life. It's my assumption, and I'm just guessing here. But those other guys probably felt thankful. They probably felt gratitude. What was it then that set apart this one from the other nine? Here's the way I put it in my notes. And Again, this is going to sound so simple, but you guys think this is so powerful. I wrote down this way. See, he didn't simply feel thanks. He gave it. What was it that set him apart from the other nine? Here's what I think a big part of it is. He didn't just feel grateful. He didn't just have grateful thoughts he wasn't just like i'm having many feelings of appreciation for what jesus has done the bible says what really made him different is he went back and he gave it he expressed it he showed the thankfulness that he had now this i believe introduces to us this very important principle and i said at the beginning it's so simple it's almost insulting but we miss this so often I believe this principle has the power to absolutely revolutionize our relationships. And here it is. You ready for it? Here's the principle. Thanks is meant to be given, not kept in. Okay? Thanks is meant to be given, not to be kept in. Thanks is meant to be expressed, not just felt. Thanks is meant to be shared, not just something that I think about. That thanks needs to be Given. It needs to be expressed. After all, this week we're celebrating which holiday? Which one? Thanksgiving. It's not called keeping, right? It's Thanksgiving. And so we, what, what is it? We're supposed to give it. That's what thanks is to do. And this, like I said, this sounds so simple, but this principle is so important. Here's why it's so important. It's so important because of something that you, you know and I know. And that's this. That unexpressed gratitude is the same as ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude is is the same, it feels the same, it's interpreted the same as ingratitude. Isn't that true? That's why in this in this passage that we see, that's why all 10 of them are healed. Maybe all of them, it's very possible they all felt thankful. But yet, what's Jesus' response when the one comes back and says thanks? Jesus says, hey, wait a minute, wasn't there 10 of you? Where's the other nine? Why, why does Jesus respond that way? Because of this. Because unexpressed gratitude feels the same. It's interpreted the same is ingratitude isn't that true i think for almost all of us in this room we can probably think of a time in our life where we where we did something for someone we gave something to someone we served someone in some way right we we sacrificed something for the sake of someone else and we did that for them and they received it they received the gift they received the sacrifice or whatever they received our service but then they never expressed gratitude and as a result of that, they may have even, they may have even felt gratitude. They may have even felt thankful, but they never expressed it. And because of that, their, un, their inexpression of thanksgiving and gratitude to you felt like what? It felt like ingratitude. felt like ingratitude. I'll give you um, just a quick kind of illustration on this. Just, I want you to just go with me on this. Hypothetically speaking, okay? So, so this, is, this is just a little thought experiment. So just so you know, this never really happened, all right? Now, this isn't outside of the realm of possibility that something like this could happen, but this never really happened. So I want you to imagine with me that one day my wife, Jessica, s- said, uh, said, you know what? I want to do something. I want to go out of my way, and I want to love my husband in a really extra special way. And so she, she was put, thinking about it. She's like, man, I just want to serve him. I want to love him. And so she had this great idea. She said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the best dinner ever. I'm going to pull out all the stops, man. And I'm going to go to the store. I'm going I'm to get the best of the best. I'm not, you know, not going to spare an expense. I'm going to buy it all. And I'm going to cook it perfect. It's going to be excellent. And she, I'm going to get a babysitter. I'm going to put the kids at the babysitter. So she's got to arrange this weeks in advance. And she goes out and she buys the food and she sets it all up and she goes crazy, right? So she puts the candles up, she lights them. It's awesome. She puts on some mood music, right? She's got Kenny G playing in the background, right? Which <laughs> she would actually never do that because I don't like Kenny G. But so she's got my favorite music playing in the background. She's got it all. And she even puts on a really nice dress, and she looks beautiful, and everything is set up. And she's like, he's going to love this. And then let's assume in this, hypoth- this is hypothetical, let's assume I come home from work, And right? I walk in the door, and I see her, and she's, you know, she's all... It looks amazing and the food and everything smells awesome and the place looks great and the kids aren't there and I walk in and I see her I say hi and she says hi and I put my stuff down my my work stuff and let's just say that I just walk right into the kitchen and all the food is laid out and I just sit down I just start eating just start eating the food and then of course Jess is a little hurt right because I didn't say anything and so she comes in and she sits down and she starts eating with me and she's like okay you know what well, we we'll just see how the night goes. And so we eat. And let's say that, man, the food is so good. It's so delicious. My favorite stuff, that I eat it like in 10 minutes. And then I'm done. And as soon as I'm done, I get up, take my plate, put it in the sink, grab my computer, walk in the other room, start answering emails. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. How do you think Jessica is going to interpret that scenario? Right? She's going to be her. Absolutely. How is, what does is Jessica kind of do in that situation? I think all of us know what she's going to do, right? All of us know what's going to happen. Whatever's left of that food, I'm going to be wearing it, right? And rightfully so, right? And, and listen, here's the thing, you guys. I may have even felt thankful. I may have walked in and I may have thought, my goodness, she looks amazing. I may have sat down and said, wow, this, she must have went through so much trouble to make this food for me. I might even, in fact, the next day, I might even go to work and tell everyone else how awesome my wife is. And how amazing she went out of her way to serve me. But listen, here's the thing. If I never tell her, if I never give thanks, if I never express to her my gratitude, right? Unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude. I love the way that uh, that one author put it. An author by the name of Robert Brault, he said this. He said, there's no such thing as gratitude unexpressed. If it's unexpressed, it's plain old-fashioned ingratitude. And I love, that. I love that because I think what he's getting at is that exact same point, that unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude. So, so here's the question then, all right? All of us know that thanks needs to be given. All of us understand that unexpressed gratitude feels like ingratitude. So here's the real question then. So why is it that so many of us fail to do this? How, why is it that so many of us, why is it that it's so common for us to fail so so common is this among the human uh, the, the kind of the, the human experience that in this parable you notice ninety percent of those who experience the goodness and the grace of God in their lives don't come back to thank Him. So why is this so common? Why is it that we forget to do, why is it that we fail to do this? And you know I think there's probably a lot of reasons. But in this passage, I just want to show you I think there's three reasons that are alluded to in this passage. So let me just show you what I'm talking about. I call these three hindrances that keep us from the get-to life. Three, three hindrances that keep us from expressing gratitude, from expressing thanksgiving, forgiving thanks and not just feeling thanks. Here's the, the first one. I think the first one, by the way, is the most innocent. I say The first one is this. It's forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. One of the reasons I think that we fail to express or to give thanks sometimes is because of good old-fashioned forgetfulness. In fact, you actually kind of see this in this passage. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you look back at verses 15 and 16, that's what it says. It says, uh, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he, look at that, came back. He came back. He returned. Now, why is that important? Here's why. If he came back, what does that mean the other nine did? They moved on. They moved on. They received the gift that God had given them. They accepted his grace, and they kept going. And I think what this passage does is it reveals to us something that happens to all of us, and that's this. It is so easy for us to receive God's grace, to receive God's provision, to receive the myriad of blessings that God and others provide in our lives. And once we get those things, to just move on, to move on. See, but the one thing this guy did that was different was he remembered. He came back. He returned. He went back to this thing. And you guys, one of the things that can keep us from showing gratitude and living to get to life, one of the barriers, is Forgetfulness is we fail to remember what God and what others have done for us. This doesn't just happen in our relationships with each other. This also happens in our relationship with God. Uh, one of the things that can happen is spiritual forgetfulness, right? I love the way that, uh, that, some, that some pastors put it. They use this term, spiritual amnesia. Have you guys ever heard that term before? Spiritual amnesia. I love that term. I think that term does such a good job expressing the proclivity that each one of us has to have a short-term memory um, as it relates to the, the good things that God has done in our life. Isn't that true? That, man, we will, we will drift into short-term memory loss of the good things that God has done in our life. God will provide for us. God will do something for us. Uh, God will, God will, 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 will you know, show grace to us in some way, and we're so thankful for it. But then what happens is over the course of time, we drift into forgetfulness. We forget the good thing that God has done in our life. How many of us have had a time in our life when we begged God for something? And you begged God, God, please give me this relationship. God, please give me this job. God, please give us kids. God, please just give me this word. God, please just show your way. And then God answered that prayer. And months later, we find that the very thing that God answered our prayer with, we are complaining about. Ah, God, my, my spouse. Ah, God, this job. Oh, God, these kids. Oh, God, And we're complaining about it. How does that happen? I'll tell you how that happens. Spiritual amnesia sets in. I was thinking about this this past week, and I was remembering a scenario that happened a couple months ago. So a couple months ago, Jess and I uh, were out on a date night, and uh, that, that's something we try to do periodically. We try to leave the kids with with someone, then we go out and we, we do date night. And, um, and by the way, just a quick aside, if you're a married person, I just got to tell you, that, that habit of being in a date night has been so instrumental into our marital health. I would really encourage that for anybody. But anyway, we were out on this date night, and, and we were at this restaurant. And on our way in, we ran into a couple from, the, from our campus, from our church. And so we saw them. We was like, oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, hey, how are you? And, and we talked to them. And they said, yeah, you know, we've been coming for a little bit. We love the church. It's awesome what God is doing. And we're so, so jazzed about it. I'm like, that's great. We talked to them. And then after we got done, we kind of wrapped up the conversation. We went into the restaurant, found our seat, and wouldn't you know it? We got to our seat. We ran into another couple that went here to the church, and they came over. Hey, Tony. Hey, how are you? We said hi. We talked to them, and and then the one the one person said, Hey, you know, real quick, I had I just had a couple quick questions about the church and about this, and I wondered about. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's great. I'd love to answer your questions about the church on my date night with my wife. That'd be awesome. I'd love to help you in that way. And so, so we talked with this person. It was fine. And then after that was done, Jess and I decided that we, we still had some time. So we were like, let's go walk around a store, which that might sound really lame to some of you. But you guys know if you have kids, when your kids are gone, going to the store is like the greatest thing ever. So freeing. And so we went to the store. We're walking around. And wouldn't you know it, at the store, we ran into a person from our church. We saw this person and they were like, hey, I'm like, hey, and we talked to this person and they actually told us about a really hard thing they were going through in their life and we talked with them for a while and we had a chance to pray with them and uh, it was good and then we kind of left that. But can I, listen, can I just confess something to you guys? I think I can be honest with you with you guys, so just in this room, all right? Um, can I confess something that was going on in my heart that night just to show you how ugly my heart can be? That whole night that we kept running into people, there was this secret prayer thing that was happening in my mind and my heart. And it kind of went like this. Every time I thought, God, can I just have a date night with my wife? Can I just spend time with her? Like, I, I seriously, I don't want to be a pastor tonight. I don't want to, I don't want to do the church thing tonight. I just want to be with my wife. That's what I want to do tonight. And listen, can I just tell you that by the end of that night, I felt like God, and I just remember this, I felt like God really spoke to me. And, and don't, don't freak out. I don't mean like he didn't audibly show up and speak to me. His face didn't show up on a grilled cheese sandwich. Nothing, <laughs> nothing freaky happened. But I just felt like in my heart, God was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Because four years ago when we first started this campus, Jess and I begged God that he would allow us to have influence in this community that he would use this church for the glory of his name and for the gospel. And I felt like God was like, have you forgotten the very thing that you asked for that, we, that I gave you? And you're gonna complain about that? You're gonna grumble about that? And I remember it was almost like God was like, hey, if you want that to be gone, we can take care of that real quick. We can take care of that real quick. And I remember I was just like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm being a brat. And spiritual amnesia has set in and I have forgotten the grace of God. Listen, this is something that can happen. One of the reasons that we are, we are blocked from a, a lifestyle, a get-to lifestyle, one of the reasons that we're hindered from expressing gratitude is because of forgetfulness. It's because we forget. We forget about the good things that God has done for us and the good things that others have done for us as well. I think this is why in the Old Testament, do you know what one, I think the number one commandment in the Old Testament to God's people is? You know what it is? Remember. God's Remember. Remember, don't move on, go back. Go back. Take yourself back to those places where God or others have provided for you and say thank you and express gratitude. So one of the first ones is forgetfulness. Here's the second hindrance, I think, that keeps us from expressing gratitude. This is it, obliviousness. I don't even know if that's a word, but, uh, but obliviousness, right? We all know what it means to be oblivious. To be oblivious means inattentive. It means unaware. I'm not paying attention. I'm oblivious to what's happening around me. And one of the things that can block us from a life of gratitude and expressing thanks is obliviousness. I think we see this in this passage. And once you notice, the Bible says that this one guy, he came back, he saw that he was healed. He came back, then look at this, he praised God in a loud voice. Now, why is that significant? Here's why that's significant. I think for a lot of us, when we think about the idea of praising, uh, we think of worshiping, we think of singing. And of course, all of that is accurate. But did you know that the word praise, literally in the Greek language is the word doxa. It's where we get the word doxology from. You may have heard of that term before. And the word doxa in the Greek language literally means this. It means to recognize. It means to recognize. It means I'm paying attention. It means I'm attentive. I've seen it. God, I see what you did. That's what it is. That's what it means when it says he praised God. So what did he do? He remembered, but more than that, he recognized you see, you guys, one of the things that can keep us from expressing gratitude is obliviousness. We're just oblivious. We're not, we, we don't take any time to recognize what God and what others have done for us. We just assume that everything is the way that it is for whatever reason it, it is. I remember um, one of the, the first times in my life that my obliviousness, which I'm a very oblivious person, but I remember one of the first times that my obliviousness was made very apparent to me. And it was when I moved out of my parents' house for the first time. And I remember I moved out from my parents' house, and I moved into an apartment. And, um, and I just remember just being overwhelmed. And just, you know, now I was paying my own bills, and I was doing my own laundry, and I was getting myself up out of bed, and I was cleaning my own stuff up. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, my parents have been doing this for me for, like, my whole life. And I was, I've been so oblivious. And I remember I just felt the need On several occasions to call my parents and tell them two things. The first one was, thank you. Thank you. For what? For everything. Thank you for everything you did. I had no idea. I was oblivious to the way you provided me. And the second thing I wanted to say was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For what? For my existence, right? I apologize to you for for taking advantage of the great things that you've done for me. You know, I just remember that feeling of just, man, I've been so oblivious. And Listen, that can happen to us in our relationships, too. We become oblivious to what others have done for us. And this happens in our relationship with God, too, doesn't it? In our relationship with God, we, be, we can become spiritually oblivious. We can wake up in the morning, and with our health, with our kids, with our family, with the myriad of blessings that God has provided, and we can look at these things, and we can just say, yeah, that's normal. Because there is nothing normal about this life. This life is saturated with grace upon grace upon grace that has been bestowed upon us by God. I love the way that one commentator, uh, N.T. Wright, New Testament commentator, wrote in his uh, commentary in the Gospel of Luke. He said it this way. He said, "We, we know with our heads, if we have any Christian faith at all, that our God is the giver of all things, everything. Every mouthful of food that we take, every breath of air that we inhale, every note of music we hear, every smile on the face of a friend, every child, a spouse, all of that in a million things more are good gifts from his generosity. The world didn't need to be like this. It could have been far more drab there's an old spiritual discipline of listing one's blessings, naming them before God, and then giving thanks. It's a healthy thing to do, especially in a world where we too often assume that we have an absolute right to health, to happiness, and every possible creature comfort. So I love what N.T. Wright is saying. He's saying, listen, if we could only, if we could only open our eyes, pay attention, and recognize the blessings that are around us, spiritual obliviousness. I think, I think this is why in the book of First Thessalonians, and we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, that the apostle Paul says that we should be thankful in all circumstances. You guys remember this verse? Be thankful in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Why is it that he says that we should be thankful in all circumstances? Well, here's what I think. I think the reason the apostle Paul says that is because when we force ourselves to be thankful and grateful in the midst of circumstances, even ones where we feel like there's nothing to be thankful for, It tunes us into reality, and it allows us to recognize what we're oblivious to. It allows us to to have an awareness of what God is up to, and we can see it. And it's interesting because the Bible says this. It says that when we give thanks in all circumstances, that that is God's will for us. And I think that's so important because what that means is this, is that when we pause in any circumstance, the circumstance you're facing right now, the difficult thing that you're going through right now, if you pause and say, man, what can I be thankful for? What you are doing is you are tuning yourself to the will of God. You are, you are forcing yeah. yourself to put on the perspective of, of the will of God. You're tuning yourself in to say, I don't want to be oblivious. I want to see what God wants for me. And that's how that works. When we live a life of ungratitude and grumbling, we are seeing things through what is, what is a perspective that is not God's will. God's will for us is that we become thankful people. So what is it then that can cause us to, to not give thanks? Well, forgetfulness is one. Obliviousness is one. Here's the third one. I think we see this in this passage. Entitlement. Yeah, just good old-fashioned entitlement. That'll, that'll block us from being thankful people. That'll keep us from expressing gratitude, right? It's interesting. I don't know if you noticed in this passage, but twice actually in this little story, the passage goes out of the way to tell us that this one who came back was a Samaritan. Bible says he was a Samaritan, and that shows up twice in this passage. Now, why in the world is that important? Well, the reason that that many commentators believe that's important is because by saying that the one was a Samaritan, it insinuated that the other nine were what Jewish. Most likely, they were Jewish people. And why is that important? Some of you know back in this time there was racial tension that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Okay, uh, the Jews would have been considered kind of uh, kind of like uh, kind of like top tier. Members of first class, members of society, Samaritans were kind of viewed as half breeds. They were half Jews, they were half Gentile. Uh, They were what Harry Potter would call mudbloods, and so they were like second class in this society. They they would have been ostracized socially, and so because of that, listen, this guy was a Samaritan and he was a leper. He was doubly ostracized, doubly marginalized commentators say that that's important. I agree with them. They say that's important because what that means is that this guy was keenly aware of his undeservedness. He was in complete and full recognition that he deserved nothing from God. He didn't deserve the grace that was given to him. He didn't, it wasn't because of his moral bef- uh, performance. It wasn't because of his spiritual pedigree. None of that. He's like, I have no entitlement whatsoever. And because of that, he freely could express gratefulness. And you guys think it's the same thing. One of the major hindrances that keeps us from giving thanks is entitlement. I put this in my notes. Thankfulness begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Thankfulness begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Listen, you know this as well as I do. It is impossible to feel grateful for something I feel entitled to. It's possible. This is why you don't write a thank you note to the IRS when you get your income tax return, right? <laughs> Who does it? Who's like, oh, man, this money from, the, this is great, I am going to write a thank you note. I'm going to take some pictures of the thing I bought. I'm going to send it to them as a way of saying thanks. No one does that. Why? Because it's hard to feel grateful for something you feel entitled to, right? When you get your income tax return, what do you say? You say, it's about time. I wish it was more. This is my money. They owe it to me. It's hard to be grateful for something you feel entitled to. And the same is true in relationships. You guys, for some of us, the reason that we can't give thanks it's because we feel entitled. And so if you're, if, you're, if you're a student with your parents, sometimes you're like, well, they, they, I'm entitled to. The reason that I don't say thank you is because I feel that I deserve it. I feel, I expect my parents to do that. I expect my parents to pay my insurance. I expect my parents to buy me a new iPhone because that's what good loving parents do, right? I expect my parents to provide for me in these ways. And listen, it's hard to feel thankful for something you feel entitled to. We with our spouses. I, well, I, I expect her to do that. That's what she's supposed to do. That's what a good wife, he's supposed to do that. That's what my husband, I expect my husband. It's hard to feel grateful for something you feel entitled to. This is true not only in our relationships with each other. This is true in our relationship with God too. Sometimes for some of us, we have spiritual entitlement. And for whatever reason, maybe it's our moral performance or maybe it's because of our spiritual background. We grew up Christians. We think to ourselves, God owes me. God owes me. God owes me health. God owes me, God owes my kids to be safe. God owes me provision. He owes me that job. That's what he owes me. Don't you know how good I am? I'm way better than those other people. And I grew up in the church. God owes me. And that entitlement, listen, thankfulness begins where entitlement ends. And there has to be an end to it. Now listen, this truth is so important, especially, especially for those of us who follow Jesus. I know that not everyone in this room may follow Jesus. Some of you might still be investigating the whole Jesus thing. And let me just say, by the way, if that's you, we count it a blessing that you would let us be part of that investigation. But I believe this very, very sincerely. I believe that Christians ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the planet. Logically speaking, Christians ought to be the most grateful. Now, why is that? Well, just think about it for a minute. Here's what we believe, for those of us who follow Christ. We believe that because of what Christ has done for us, because we've received Christ into our lives, we have the forgiveness of sins, and we have the hope of eternal life—two things that we don't deserve. That God has given us. By the way, if you're a person investigating Jesus, that offer stands for you even tonight. You can take advantage of that. And you can just accept Christ into your life. But we believe that. And let me let me just say, if that's all, if that's all that God has ever done for us, is forgive us our sins and give us eternal life, isn't that enough? for us to say, thank you, thank you. You don't owe me anything else. Health and the job and the provision, that's all icing on the cake that God has given us more than we deserve already. And so my ability to be thankful begins where my sense of entitlement ends. What keeps us from this? Well, forgetfulness, obliviousness, entitlement. And, and listen, I think what all of this does, this one guy, this one Samaritan in this passage What he reveals to us is this really important truth that thanks is to be given, it's not to be kept in. In fact, I would even take it a step further and I would say this. I would say that thankfulness is actually incomplete until it's expressed. Thankfulness, I believe, is actually, it's incomplete until it's expressed. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. I I believe that inside of every single one of us, that intrinsically, that there is a thankfulness cycle that exists in us. Now that sounds really weird. So let me try to let me try to explain it. I actually drew a, a picture. I didn't draw it, but you know what I mean. So so this is the, the the thankfulness cycle I think is inside of all of us. Really simple. Someone gives, okay, real simple. Someone gives, someone serves, someone sacrifices, someone provides, someone helps, someone receives. Oh, I receive. You've given this to me. You served me. You've helped me, right? But, but all of us know, and we know this intuitively, that this cycle is not finished until the person who has received expresses it. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, you served me. Thank you. Man, you gave that. You helped me. Thank you. And, and listen, this is crazy, but it is really hard for us, I think, for us to see in the mirror when this cycle is unfinished. It is really easy to see in other people when the cycle is unfinished, especially if you have kids. So I was thinking about this um, just a couple weeks ago, you guys remember it was uh, Halloween. And so during Halloween that we had trunk or treat here, we had trick or treat in my neighborhood. And so we we took the kids out and we were doing that. And I noticed a trend. And if you have little kids, you've seen this with your kids, I know too, because they're just as wicked and evil as mine are. And we were walking around the neighborhood and they would go up to a house, they'd ring the doorbell or they would knock on the door and they'd say trick or treat, right? And they'd open their bag and then the cycle would begin. Someone would give. So they give candy. People went out and used their hard-earned money to buy candy to give an enjoyable experience to the children in our neighborhood. And they would give them that candy, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup or the Kit Kat or if they're a dentist, a toothbrush, whatever it was. Right? (laughs) They would give them something, and then they would receive it. My kids would gladly receive it. But then I noticed something happened, and this happened a lot of times. And if you have kids, you saw this. They would close their bag after they received it, and they would start to run to the next house. They would move on. And all of a sudden, there's tension. There's tension. Why? Because the cycle's not finished. And so Jess and I are sitting there, and we're feeling this anxiety. And the person that gave the candy is feeling the anxiety about these kids. And we're doing that. And so what do me and Jess do as parents? We do the same thing you do. Stop, stop, stop. And the kids are like, what? You know, what did I do? And we're like, you didn't finish the cycle. Go back. Go back. Right, just like this guy in this parable. Go back, and then we say what every parent says till they're blue in the face. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And 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 here we have this tension, like say it, say it. And the parents are like, you know, the person that gave the candy is feeling the tension. Then finally, thank you. And we're like, oh yes, fine, you finish it. Now we can move on to the next thing. You see, the cycle exists inside of all of us. It's so easy to see when this is, when this loop is not closed in our kids. It's so easy to see in other people. It's really hard to see in the mirror. So here's my question to you. Who have you not finished this cycle with? It, see, if you're talking, is there anyone you're thinking of right now, man, they served you. They blessed you. They gave, they gave to you. They, and they, they sacrificed for you. And you received it, man. And you may, listen, you may have even felt... I feel thankful. I feel grateful because of that. But maybe, maybe you never said it. Maybe you never showed it. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a, a teacher. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's God. I think for all of us, it's probably God, right? So much thanks that I can be given to him. And, and listen, here, here's why I think this is so important. And then this is the last thing I'll say, and then, then we'll be finished. This is so important because... Express thankfulness builds relational harmony. Here's why I think this is so vital. Because when we express thankfulness, it it builds relational harmony. And I can actually say the inverse is true too. When we don't express gratitude, it creates relational dissonance. It creates relational disharmony when we don't close this loop and we don't express gratitude, right? When we say thank you, when we express gratitude, it actually does something both to the one who's thanked and the one who did the thanking. It, 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 it adds relational healing, and it actually builds harmony. I think this is why at the very end of this, par- of this passage, in uh, verse 19, it says, when uh, Jesus said to this man, rise and go, your faith has made you well. See, it's really fascinating. Commentators point out, man, that's interesting, isn't it? That this man has already been healed physically, and yet, Jesus looks at him and he says, Get up, your faith has made you well. Now, what in the world's taking place there? Well, commentators kind of disagree a little bit about this, but many of them point out that it's very possible that the reason Jesus said, Your faith has made you well, is because this man experienced a second kind of healing. Yeah, he was physically healed from his leprosy, but there was a relational healing that happened in his heart, too, that can only happen through expressed gratitude. There, there's harmony that takes place in a relationship, both for the one who's thanked and the one who is thanking. Both of those things happen. And it's interesting. I was reading this article this past week and um, it was released by the University of Georgia. And in this article, they were talking about, they did a study on marital health and uh, marital happiness and success. And this shouldn't surprise us at all given our conversation, but they said the number one key factor that towered above all others in marital health and marital satisfaction and marital happiness above um, financial security. Above sexual compatibility, above, um, you know, just normal compatibility, do we get along well, do we do do – the number one thing that made – in this study showed couples to be happy and satisfied was this, expressed gratitude. Uh, Couples who experience relational harmony say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for working. Thank you for serving. Thank you for doing – and it's not just feeling it. It's saying it. It's expressing it because thanks is meant to be given not just meant to be kept in. I like this last quote. William Arthur Ward said this. He said, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and then not giving it. Not giving it. Thanks is to be given, not to be kept in. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do, I want to, just, I want to close down with just one final challenge for this week. It's kind of a Thanksgiving challenge, I guess you could say. And uh, this is a challenge for anyone in the room, whether you've been here for the first time or this, you've been here for a long time, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, here's the challenge I want to give you this week. You ready? Okay, here it is, real simple. I want to challenge you to give thanks this week. Super simple, but just think about it for a minute. Notice I didn't say, I'm not challenging you to be thankful. I'm not challenging you to feel thanks. Give it. Give it. Close the loop and express gratitude where you need to express gratitude. Maybe for some of you this week, there's a person, there's someone in your life that you need to close that loop with. You need to write a letter, give them a call. You need to look them in the eyes. Maybe you need to sit down with your spouse. You need to look them in the eyes, which is already awkward enough, right? You need to say, listen, thank you. Thank you for what you do. I recognize what you, I remember and I recognize what you've done. I want to say thank you for that. Maybe maybe you need to do it with your parents. Sit down, man, thank you. Thank you for paying for my insurance. Thank you for giving me life. That's a good thing, right? Thank you for the way that you've – just say thank you. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's someone in your life that you could sit down and say thanks to. Now, here, here's the thing, all right? Now, let me kind of clarify this uh, this this homework challenge I'm giving to you, all right? So, so let me just clarify. Notice I said I want you to give thanks this week. And so notice the challenge is not get thanks, all right? And so here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want you to take this sermon, this message, and then use this sermon as ammunition to try to get thanks from other people in your life. So, so here's what I don't want. I don't want you to get in the car after this, this message is done and sit down next to your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your, you know, your parents or whatever and sit there and then say, so. That was a pretty good message tonight, wasn't it? Don't you have something you wanted to tell me? Right? <laughs> Don't do that. Don't use this as a window to look at how other people are not appreciating you. Use it as a mirror to allow God to show you because this is where the get to life is. It starts in here, right? And so do that. Here's the second point of clarification, right? Don't not do this. That's a double negative. Don't not do this just because you feel like maybe if you did it now, since we talked about it, it would feel kind of forced, so maybe, this is, maybe this is just me, maybe this is a guy thing, maybe it's just a me thing, but I know how I would take a conversation like this. I would hear this, and I would think, man, I really want to do that. I really want to show thanks to my wife, I want to show thanks to my kids, I want to say thanks to God, I want to do that. But the problem is they're here, and, and now if I go and do that, it's going to seem like I'm only doing it because you said it. And so I, I don't want to do it now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait a month, and hopefully, they'll forget this whole conversation. And then one day, I'm going to be like, I had a totally original idea. And I just want to sit down and tell you how much I appreciate you, right? That's what I would do. Maybe, you, maybe you're maybe you way better than I am, right? But listen, here, here's why I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that because unexpressed gratitude is the same as ingratitude. And thanks is meant to be given, not meant to be kept in. And so finish the loop. I guarantee you, regardless of the... the frame of time that you have this conversation, everyone loves to hear it. Everyone loves to hear it. They'd appreciate it. Man, you want to shock your parents if you're a teenager? Sit down and tell them you appreciate them for something. I'm telling you, they will be flabbergasted. They will be shocked. It'd be an amazing thing. I think for all of us this week, I would challenge you to sit down, find some time to genuinely give thanks to God. And when I say give thanks to God, I don't mean vague, general, oh, thanks, God. Thanks for everything. Thanks for the day. I, I mean specific. Sit down and wrap your mind. Recognize, God, what, what can I be thinking? Man, God, thank you for this because because you're doing this. God, thank you for that. And listen, do the hard work of seeing thankfulness in all circumstances. I guarantee you it will bring relational harmony to your relationship with God. It has the power to revolutionize you. Let's pray together. Well, God, I want to say thank you that, uh, man, there's so much to be thankful for. God, you... you our gracious God, God, you are a giver, but you don't want us just to be takers. You want us to be thankful people who return, who recognize and who say thanks, who express it. God, the truth is that this, this principle is not it's not just for you. It's not like you need our thanks. But Father, it does something in our hearts. It tunes us to your reality. and allows us to see things as they really are. So, Father, I pray that you would be with us. Help us to remember in the times of spiritual amnesia to go back, to force ourselves to go back and remember the good things that you've done in our life. God, I pray that you would help us to be thankful, to 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 not be oblivious to the many the myriad of graces that you've shown us. Now, Father, I pray that you would cure us from any sense of entitlement that we might have in our hearts. The truth is, God, is that you don't owe us anything. In fact, if, if you gave us what you owed us, God, you, you owe us wrath, just being honest, and you gave us grace, It's so we can say thank you. And I think that we ought to be the most, there, there shouldn't be such a thing in this world as an ungrateful Christian. It just doesn't logically add up. So Father, I pray that you would use this conversation to propel us into a lifestyle of thankfulness. I pray that this week we'd be blessed for having heard this message. Help us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well that we would do these things and we'd be blessed as a result of it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.